Hello, everyone, and welcome to Staffer, the show about people who work in government or politics at any level and what they take from the experience. I'm your host, Jim Papa, a partner at Global Strategy Group and a former staffer myself. My guest today is Kenny Thompson Jr., incoming senior vice president and chief public affairs officer at Vail Resorts. This is a new job for Kenny. He starts in December, and in his new role, he will oversee government and community relations for the company, as well as its social responsibility platform known as Epic Promise. I met Kenny in 2009 on the campus of Texas A&M, of all places. We weren't students there. He and I were both working at the White House, and President Obama was speaking at a forum on community service that was hosted by former President George H.W. Bush and his Thousand Points of Light Foundation. It was a really cool day, a special event, um, and it was moving for a lot of reasons. But among them for me was that I got to meet Kenny, and I also got to meet his family, uh, who lived nearby uh, in Texas and came for the event. And I have reflected on that from their perspective, how special that would be to be in a room with a current president, a former president, and their son, who was working at the White House. And that's one of those kind of special things that can happen in politics. And I got to be there while it was happening uh, and and view it uh, for Kenny and his family. Kenny's time in public service started in council chambers in the city of Austin. And we talk about that a bit. He then worked on the presidential campaign trail. And when he was asked to work at the White House, he started in advance. He later served both in the office of the U.S. Trade Representative and also as director of message events for then-Vice President Biden. For the last 10 years, Kenny has been at PepsiCo, most recently as the Vice President of External Affairs. Among other things, he has led the company's strategy for developing and maintaining partnerships with external stakeholders. Kenny has been the recipient of numerous honors, including recognition by the Network Journal's 40 Under 40, Black Enterprises' 100 Men of Distinction, and recently, he received the Washington Business Journal's Diversity in Business Award. Kenny and I recorded this conversation on Friday, November 18th. I hope you enjoy the episode. Kenny Thompson, welcome to Staffer. Hey, man. Jim, good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad to have you. It is such a nice excuse to reconnect uh, <laughs> after after a while. Um, as you may know, on this podcast, I love talking to people about their staff or careers, what they did in government service, you know, what they've done afterward. And I like to start at the beginning, uh, learning a little bit about where they grew up and yeah. uh, how they got into politics. So can you tell me a bit about yourself? Yeah, right on, man. Uh, well, again, thanks so much for the opportunity. Um, I grew up in Texas, uh, Austin, Texas. Um, you know, I, I love politics. My dad was uh super engaged when I was super young. So I kind of like got into my blood pretty, pretty young. Um, how, how was he engaged? Yeah. So my dad ran for student, or sorry, my dad ran for school board. Um, the first black uh, school board uh, elected official in my hometown of Fleurieville, Texas, a small town right outside of Austin. And, wow. you know, from there, he just like was super engaged, uh, both at the city, state, uh, and local level. Oh, that's great. Um, you uh, got into and attended uh, TCU. I did. Uh, Texas Christian University. Uh, and played baseball, which is some serious Division One baseball. So I have yeah. to ask you, uh, what position did you play? And was professional baseball ever a dream you had? 
Oh, yeah. Well, first off, I played uh, center field, uh, outfielder for most of my career. And of course, man, I wanted to be a major leaguer, dude, like Ken Griffey Jr. and Chipper Jones. That was like my my era of baseball players. So, yeah, um, I wanted to I wanted to be a big league ball player. Um, but, you know, politics is a pretty good fallback. <laughs> that's right. If, if that, that's right. And, and, you, and you did get to play in the big <laughs> leagues in politics. Yeah. <laughs> so you made it to the majors. Um, but you didn't start there, which is one of the things I find so interesting about uh, your career. I mean, a lot of folks get into politics because they read about it uh, and it's always national politics, right? That yeah. is That tends to be the coverage that's, you know, that people consume. Um, and you started at the municipal level. Um, yeah. Your your first job out of college, as I understand, was uh, first at the uh, Chamber of Commerce for Greater Austin, and then for Austin City Council member Cheryl Cole. Yeah. Um, because yeah, not yeah, many yeah. folks, you know, work at the municipal level that ultimately work at the national level. What did you take from that experience that you found applicable and special? Um, as, you know, as you went up kind of the federal ladder. Yeah, look, that saying that all politics is local is for real, particularly when you're working at City Hall, right? Like citizens and constituents have your phone number. They know where you live. They literally light you up over stop signs, over zoning issues, over everything that is impacting their neighborhood. So that's really what I've tried to take at every level of politics, right? Like that sort of local aspect and how issues and policies affect people in their day-to-day life. Um, There's nothing like it at at City Hall, right? Like, I mean, those meetings would last till 2, 3 a.m. And you're talking about drainage systems or right-of-ways. I mean, those things that really impact people's lives on a daily basis. So I've tried to take that sort of mindset uh, in every job I've ever taken. Yeah, you know, working at the city level, I'm sure you saw this, with your with your dad too on the school yeah. board, those are both like real rubber meets the road, you know, uh, positions in government. Where yeah, you know, as you said, we're, we're talking about the streets people drive on, the schools where they send their kids. That's it, feelings are intense around decisions that those policymakers make, and for good reason. Yeah, absolutely. And the decisions that are made at that level, um, they they impact people every single day. And the vision that local officials have for a city can dictate whether that city dies or thrives, right? Like how much traffic you're going to be sitting in, you know, how much density you're going to have downtown. You know, all those things are decided uh, at the city level. So um, being there right before Austin like blew up, right? Like I was there when Austin was still like a small town in in Texas. And then just to see like how it is now, um, all that, all those zoning uh, issues, all of those plans, like I was there when those were getting decided. And now to go Uh back and see like, oh my gosh, like I remember zoning that building. Like I remember, you know, adding that park to that right of way or whatever the case may be. So it's really been cool for me to see the growth of Austin, um, the growth of downtown and, you know, the people flocking to my hometown, um, a lot of it based on the policies that we made back in 2003 and four and five. Oh, how rewarding. You know, yeah. so much of policy is diffuse. You know, I mean, you, you set up a good policy and you feel like it's going to work. And then maybe 20 years later, it does work. And there are statistics that show it, it works, but there is not a physical representation of it. Right. Oh, so yeah. pretty cool to watch, to watch decisions you make lead to your city being beloved and thrive. 
Yeah, you know, I was I was super fortunate to be in Austin at that time. I worked for the first African American woman city council member at the time. And look, man, I wanted to be mayor of Austin. Like I, that was my goal. Like I wanted to be the first black mayor of Austin, Texas. Um, and I was dead set on just you know settling down and being in Austin. Um, and but then Barack Obama came and everything sort of <laughs> went a different direction. <laughs> well, you're still a young man, Kenny. So, uh, still time. Uh, that's right. Uh, but let's talk about that. So Barack Obama comes along and you begin working on the presidential campaign. Yeah. Uh, doing advance. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to dive into um, because so uh, first tell me how you got to the presidential campaign. Sure. Like, listen, I was working in Austin City Hall. Um, Barack Obama had announced he's running for president. Um, it's February of 2007. A campaign comes into town and they come to the city asking for anything you would need for an event, you know, park c- permits, street closures, police overtime, all the things that at the time I did not know was advance. Um, so I was just doing my job, really, like helping them expedite right. this process to get, you know, because he's coming like in five days, right? So yeah, right. Um, we're trying to get this done in a you know, really uh, expedited uh, way. So, you know, we get it done. The event uh, happens, but the, the campaign was nice enough to let me come down and be backstage um, when he arrived. And I got to spend two minutes with him sitting in a golf cart while he was being introduced. And I was like, all in, man, like, dude, like all in. I was like, this is the guy. I want to give it all up for this guy. Let's let's ride, you know? Um, So, yeah, man, like after that, um, I did another event for uh, Michelle Obama. Um, She came to Austin and Melissa Winter, who is still working for um, uh, Mrs. Obama, said, hey, man, like, you should do this. Like, you should come on the campaign. I was like, I don't even know how that works. She's like, I got you. Like, we'll figure it out. And then, you know, you know how it goes, man. You start doing trips and then, you know, you're like, oh, do you do another trip? And your boss is like, dude, like, do you want to keep your job or what? And like, (laughs) fortunately enough, like my boss at the time, who was a city, city council member, was like, you know what? Go do this. I'll hold the spot for you. Like, this is something that I think you should do. And my parents were very much on board. Um, you know, and, but look, a lot of people back then, you remember, dude, like people were like, ah, oh, he's good. Like he's a good speaker, but he's not, it's not, it's not his time. He's not ready. Yep. But like to my parents' credit, they're like, dude, like go do this, like get out of here. Um, you know, and look, I basically quit my job at city hall and like hit the road and the rest is sort of history. Right. Oh my gosh. Incredible. So you, so you did events all over the country, uh, for candidate Obama yeah. He wins. That's your first job as well in the White House, working in yeah. the office of advance. Yep. So setting up presidential advance. Um, my question for you. So during that time when you were uh, planning events, executing them, et cetera, do you have a favorite that you look back on and said, OK, that was special? Um, during the campaign, um, towards the end of 2008, it got really, really exciting. It's sort of like the tide had turned, like we sort of knew we were going to win. Um, or I had, I had, I thought we were going to win and we had that last swing through like Pennsylvania and, uh, Chester, Pennsylvania, it's snowing, it's sleeting. It's the worst weather. The world series game the evening before was postponed, but our ticket said rain or shine. (laughs) So like, (laughs) so like people are out there, there's umbrellas, secret service is flipping out because they don't like umbrellas, you know? But, you know, like 
it's this iconic moment of this campaign, I think, when you've got hundreds and or thousands of people um, out there in the rain and the sleet. Barack Obama shows up in a black jacket, jeans, T-shirt, I'm sorry, tennis shoes. And, you know, he's like, all right, let's go. Let's go. Let's go do this. He's like, I was like, do you want an umbrella? He's like, nope, let's go. I'm going to like go out there. And he just goes out there and crushes this speech. And like, you could just, the fact that the people were just like still out there, uh, still a packed house. And like, there's a great picture of him, like with sleet, like slinging on his face. And like, uh, you know, he just delivers. And so uh, for me, that's like, I'm on me. Like he will tell you, it was why'd you guys have me out there in the freezing cold? <laughs> like whose whose idea was this? Yeah, like he right. literally picks up the phone and calls Alyssa Master Monaco. He was my <laughs> boss at the time. I was like, I don't know, call Alyssa. Like I'm just the sight guy here, man. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like calls Alyssa, but you know, Alyssa was like to her credit, she was just like, nope, we're doing this. Let's go do this. And he went out there and delivered. So it's like one of my favorite um, moments of the campaign. It was, it was just like a really iconic, like, oh my God, like we're going to win. Like these people, it's snowing out here and like everyone right. is still here. Yes, I love it. Um, one of the things that I really admire about uh, people who do advance and successful advance is that there are literally a million points of failure yeah. in, in doing advance. And having done a little of it, it you know, it's hard. It's stressful. It is, yeah. you know, it, it is, you're, you're never really done until the moment the event is over and people are dispersed and then you're on to the next one. Right. Did you ever have, you know, one of those points of failure, uh, you know, happen and what'd you learn from it? You know, yeah, look, every event, there's something that fails, something that goes wrong. I think that, as an advanced person, I tell this to young advanced people, right? Like the point of our job is to make sure that the principal can focus on what he or she is supposed to talk about. Like they don't need to worry about like which way to go or where the crowd's coming in, what the crowd size is. They've got a job to do and that's to go deliver a message to their constituents or, or potential voters, right? So like whatever we can do to take any other worry off their plate, that's what our job is. Like, yeah, I've had like some miscues, like music miscues or, you know, introducers that run on too long. Um, I'd say the one time I, I truly messed up, which I mean that I've, I've messed up a bunch of times, but this is the one time that really sticks out. It's like, you know, as an advanced person or as a site guy, you print out an acknowledgement card, right? So it's basically like Jim's here, Kenny's here, Jillian's here, like whomever. Um, but I put... Uh, Bill Gates instead of Bob Gates, like the Secretary of Defense. <laughs> yes. Yes. And like, I was like backstage and like, I was like looking at it and I just sort of glanced over it and gave it to him. I was like, all right, go get him, you know? And he's out there doing his thing. And he says like, I want to thank my Defense Secretary, Bill Gates. And I kind of looked up like, that's not right. <laughs> like Bill oh. Gates. But so I ran backstage to look at the other printed copies and it says like, Bill Gates. And I'm just like, dude, like, I really hope that like, it's not like a thing, you know, but of course he notices it after the, after the event, he's just like, Hey man, you've got like one job here. Oh, <laughs> it was oh. like disappointed dad, man. It's like the worst, man. I'd rather get screamed at, you know? 
And I just said, like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I, my bad. And there was like a little political bleep or bleep about it, you know. I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but like at the time, you're just like, that's one of those things you don't want people to be distracted by, you know. I don't want you don't want people to take that away from his remarks, right? They're like, oh, Barack Obama doesn't know who his Secretary of Defense is, <laughs> you know. Right. So, but right. you know, it's just this one of those things. I have such sympathy for advanced people because um, among those million points of failure, to your point, like the smallest thing can distract from the message. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, you know, they go to the wrong door, they push instead of pull. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like, just stuff like right? that. It's just oh, now now what the message sent from this thing is different than the one we had intended. Right. Yeah. Um, exactly. Oh, That's exactly right. Oh, I, yeah, I still have the card um, though. I still have it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, well, look, you were obviously um, so good at that. Uh, they brought you from the campaign to the White House. And while in the White House, they then uh, you had the opportunity uh, to move over and serve as senior advisor uh, to the, and executive secretary to the U.S. trade representative. Yeah. Who at that time was Ron Kirk. Yeah, uh, yeah. Former mayor of Dallas. Did you know Ron Kirk, you know, from your time in Texas? And did you know that you wanted to work for him? Or was that just an opportunity that? you know, arose and, and you sought it out. Or yeah, look, I knew, you up for it. I knew of Ron Kirk. I mean, he was a huge deal in, in Texas, um, still is. Um, and, you know, I really got burnt out, man, like just traveling the campaign plus two years in the White House of being advanced work. I was just like, I got to do something else. And the opportunity to move over to, and I got to know him a little bit through um, doing advanced work, um, you know, during the White House. So when the opportunity came over to, jump over to his team. I was like, yeah, sure. And I, I kind of wanted to learn some policy. You know, I wanted to learn a little bit more about trade and market access, um, agriculture and all the things that we're, you know, we're selling and, and abroad and, and importing. So I just had the opportunity to do it. And it was awesome. You know, I mean, like, it's a great Texan and like somebody I've always looked up to um, growing up in Texas. Um, you know, remember I said I wanted to be mayor, like he was already, you know, first black mayor of Dallas, he was already doing the things that I wanted to do in my life. So I just sort of tried to track and get my way over there, man. And it's just like worked out. Yeah, right. So you, you mentioned policy, and I've had, you know, some exposure to trade policy, nothing like you've had. And every time I have engaged with it, I am, you know, I come away in awe at its complexity, yeah. its range. Um, so how did you, and this was obviously your, I think anyway, your first foray into policy at that depth. Totally. How did you, you know, how did you progress that learning curve? You know, I mean, it's a fire hose. So what did you do to like take it all in and be a, a good advisor to the boss? Yeah, look, I, I, did a lot of interagency work. Like I connected very closely with commerce and state and treasury, um, but also inside the building at USTR, there are some geniuses, man. They've been there for a long time and they've seen so much trade policy that works and it doesn't work. Um, so I just sort of became a sponge and tried to help him on the political front. So I could be, I could tell him, Hey, listen, this is what happens. Here's what they're saying at state. Here's what they're saying at commerce because I had those relationships through the campaign and my time in the white house, I was sort of able to help him to sort of navigate the, the political, uh, inside stuff. Um, which I think, you know, was helpful. I hope, I hope it was helpful. Um, but on the policy front, it was just a massive education. I mean, it really was like Demetrius Marantis, um, you know, uh, super helpful to me and obviously Ron Kirk, but like just like 
learning that stuff and listening to those experts on a regular basis, like you couldn't help but learn something, <laughs> right? So yeah. uh, it was like super interesting. So tell me a little bit about Ron Kirk because yeah. he is so well-known, well-regarded in Texas, in Washington, across multiple, you know, many administrations. Um, I mean, a real leader. Yeah. What did you learn from him uh, by working so closely with him? You know, he's like the best at relationships and putting people at ease. Like he has this superpower of going into rooms, like lowering the temperature. You know, he tells a good joke. Um, you know, he gets people, he lets people get their guard down a little bit. And, you know, he's just really politically savvy in a way that growing up in Texas, you have to have as being a Democrat. Like you just have to have that sort of both sides of the aisle approach because look in Texas, you know, you're surrounded by a lot of folks who have different opinions and different political viewpoints, but you still need to get stuff done, um, particularly in a major municipality like Dallas. So I love the way he, even as USTR, he acted like a mayor. Like he walked around that building every day talking to the folks, not just the political staff, but like the the career folks, like he really made that into his, like, I'm here to support the work that you guys are doing. I'm going to be the mouthpiece for the work that you guys have been doing for a long time. I mean, it's incredible. Like he's, his way of his politics is sort of how I've tried to model how I do things. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's a great golfer. He's a good guy to be around. He's the kind of guy you just like want to, you want to be around, but he also like just drops like gems of knowledge, man. Just like, boom. <laughs> You're like, yeah. Oh yeah. You know? So yeah, he's somebody I talk to pretty regularly now and he's like, helped me obviously at USTR, but even since I've left USTR, there hasn't been a major career decision I've ever made without talking to him. He's one of these people. I've never had the opportunity to meet him, but he is <laughs> universally, um, spoken of so highly by yeah. everyone who I know who has had the opportunity to work with him or for him. Um, that was not the only person with whom you got to develop <laughs> a, a relationship at the White House. Uh, yeah. Your next job uh, was as uh, director of message events for then Vice President Biden. Yeah, And, you know, one of the things about um, message events and public events, and I'm sure you had this experience doing advance as well, is that because they're so public and, and therefore potentials, uh, uh, potential moments of public failure, you know, yes, they're opportunity, but they're also, you know, opportunities for potential failure. Um, you learn a lot about yeah. people before they go on stage. Yeah. And sometimes things are, you know, there's lots of prep and, and they feel very confident. And sometimes there's no prep or, right. or you, know, you only got, you know, 60 seconds. So what did you learn uh, about the vice president at that time, now President Biden? and how he likes to prepare and handle stress in those moments. Yeah, which is really interesting, right? Like, I think that's probably the, the one thing I've, I took out of my four and a half years of the administration if, is how you can go about politics and policy in different ways and be successful, right? Like, the, price, or the president is a prepper. Like, he, like, we do a lot of prep for speeches, for events. You know, he's very very keen on knowing like the details of the situation he's about to walk into, you know, what's the name of the school, you know, what's the name of the principal, you know, tell me about like the town, like he really wants to know, like legitimately wants to know like the most detail you can potentially find for him. Right. So like, 
it's a it's a different model than uh, President Obama and Ron Kirk. Um, but like it's his way, right? Like it's his way of becoming extremely personal with the people and the towns that he's visiting, right? So it became very uh, apparent to me really quickly that like, okay, like this is a, a different way of going about um, staffing him, right? Like, you know, Barack Obama, for for better or worse, you can give him a piece of paper. He'll be like, all right, um, I got it. Like I've done this before. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. But like, you know, um, but, you know, Joe Biden is very – very detail oriented and spends a lot of time on rope lines. I mean, you could, you could basically add 30 minutes to an event purely based on him greeting people at the end of the event. Right. So that was like new to me. Right. So like, which is a completely different approach. Like Barack Obama is just like, all right, got it. Let's do it. Let's, let's hit, let's hit the next thing. Um, yep. But you know, Joe Biden is very much like, all right, we're going to, we're going to stay here for as long as it takes. You yeah. Know? Well, uh, and, and that has, and goes. that has, and that has impact on what the staff support structure right, yep. does. Uh, exactly. So that, you know, the schedule of the day, the materials that are provided, and I'm sure you had to prepare for, you know, a whole slate of new questions. Oh to yeah. Be asked. <laughs> right. It's wild. I just man. prayed There's... that he didn't get to like the 18th question that you hadn't prepared for. That's just how it goes. You know, 17. yeah, that's exactly right. Like you <laughs> can get 20 questions, right. But there's going to be a 21st question that you're not going to yeah. know the answer to. And that's fine. <laughs> I mean, now that I look back on it, like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, I'll go find out the answer. Um, you know, I'm a little older now and I don't work in that environment anymore for a reason. <laughs> so like, yeah. I'm good, right. you know? So like, <laughs> uh, right. but yeah, you know, is, is there, when you, when you look back on that public service and I want to talk about your private sector career in a moment here, but when you look back on that, is there, you know, a, an accomplishment, um, you know, a, of the administration that you played a part in, uh, in the, or a moment that you say, yeah, that, you know, like I helped do that. Yeah, look, I think for me, it wasn't a policy thing. It was the reelection. Like, I think people forgot, like, how hard it was to win reelection just because we won by a lot. But remember going into that campaign, like, we were not, uh, you know, Mitt Romney was a serious contender, right? Absolutely. Like, um, and I think a lot of people forgot that, you know, we are, our approval rating was underwater at the time. And, you know, it was really hard. And, Joe Biden played a crucial, that's when I was working for Joe Biden, but he played a such a crucial role in Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania. Um, he really worked so hard during that campaign. And if you remember, I know you do, that first debate the president did wasn't so great. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I remember. <laughs> wasn't yes. so great. And like everyone was counting on Joe Biden and he delivered, right? Yep. So like being there for that part of the campaign was incredible because we felt, we felt it. Like we were like, Oh man, like this is, this could go South real quick. But That's like, right. Democrats were hairs on fire. Like everyone was like, Oh my God, like what is he doing up there? But you know, Joe Biden came through and like he delivered a great debate performance and sort of steadied the ship for the rest of the campaign. Like, I think people don't remember that part. Um, You're but that right. Was a, that was a crucial, a crucial moment in that campaign. 
You're right. Oh, gosh. I had forgotten. I, I mean, I, I remembered the first debate performance, um, but I had forgotten the the importance of the vice presidential debate in yeah. kind of turning the mood. Uh, right. Yeah. Oh, and that's really cool to have been a part of that. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. It was, it was definitely something that like definitely sticks out in my head. Yep. So let's talk about your private sector career, which has also yeah. been really successful. I I just learned um, we are talking on your uh, one of your final days at Pepsi, <laughs> yeah. um, where you have been for um, the last eight years, and you have elevated through the ranks. Today, you are Vice President of External Affairs for North America. How did you find the transition? Oh, you know, good when question. You, when you first went to Pepsi. Yeah, look, I think um, it was so long ago now, but I remember being super overwhelmed with the lack of knowledge that I had about how the private sector worked, right? Like we were so used to being so reactive in government. Like you're always sort of reacting, reacting, reacting. No matter what your plans are, like the world happens and your plans change, right? So but in the private sector, it's a little different. You have the opportunity to strategize and plan and engage in a way that you just you don't have necessarily in government. Um, so it took a little while, man. Like it took a little while to like adjust to that pace. Um, the best advice that I got from our general counsel at the time, uh, Larry Thompson, no relation, was, dude, just go learn our business. Like go learn how we make money how our company works and functions. So I just started going out and doing like route rides and going out to like stock shelves and just like spending time like in warehouses just so I understood, you know, like I was had no idea. So I was just, you know, sitting in a corporate office and sort of like, okay, what am I, what do I do here? But I, I did it the wrong way. I should have, you know, hit the, streets early, you know, basically like just got out there kind of like folks, you know, I compare it to folks who are working in the campaign headquarters who don't go knock on doors. Like you got to go yes. knock on doors. You got to go actually right. meet people where they are. Right. So like yep. I, I sort of forgot that um, when I moved over to the private sector. So like going out and understanding how we actually make money and the people who actually make money for the company, like it's not the corporate side, it's the people who are out there every day moving product. Right. So, uh, once I did that, I kind of like a much better like sense of purpose, right. Like in how the private sector can engage and kind of help, uh, fill some of the gaps that the public sector can't. Yeah. You know, it, th there is a corollary there between like your, your, you know, time at the city council. Yeah. Right? Like yeah, yeah, to yeah. your earlier point, there's definitely like going to where the rubber meets the road has a lot of wisdom and information right? Experience yeah, you've got to have to know, you know, how to make decisions, you know, up the, up the corporate chain. Yeah, absolutely. And just to know who you're impacting and like why you're doing certain things and why, you know, so like understanding like how the whole apparatus works and, you know, I should have spent a little bit more time looking internally before I looked external, but that's the advice I give now 10 years later. That's great advice. 10 years. Okay. I thought it was eight yeah. years. That's, uh, that's incredible. Um, you are, you, um, happen to be leaving, uh, Pepsi after an incredible run. You, you, you were promoted, you know, multiple times, uh, over that, over the last decade. Um, 
you are going to be soon uh, Senior Vice President and Chief Public Affairs Officer at Vail Resorts. What excites you about the new job? I'm just super excited about a new industry. Um, I love PepsiCo. Been a great uh, run, um, great colleagues, great experience. But uh, the growing industry of hospitality, particularly like coming out of COVID, um, where folks are ready to get back out there. You know, Vail Resorts is... You know, has 41 resorts across the country um, and looking to grow. And uh, the, uh, the opportunity to learn about real estate, the opportunity to learn about retail and hospitality, it's just like, super exciting, you know. So um, blessed to have the opportunity to, next month to, to start a new gig, and I'm, I'm excited for it. Oh, that's really – I'm excited for you. Um, let me ask, does it, does it mean you get to travel to Vail more regularly now? Yeah, I'm hoping so. I'm hoping, oh, I hope that's, that's cool. part of the deal. I hope that's <laughs> yeah. part of the deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of internal meetings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. Um, you know, something else that you um, do currently is you serve on the President's Commission on White House Fellowships. Yeah. And I hope I hope some of those fellows listen to this podcast yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and aspiring fellows because it is a good um, one. It's a great vantage point for you to remain very engaged with people who are navigating careers in public yep. service. So let me ask you about how you, you know, how you observe being a staffer. Uh, one of my favorite questions is what separates the outstanding staffer from the average? Uh, detail details and, and being proactive, right? Like I think being proactive is crucial. And I always say be a solutions oriented person, right? Like, a lot of people can identify problems, but fewer people can identify solutions. Like if you see a problem, figure out a solution, right? So like I think there's a lot of staffers who are really good at like, oh, that's wrong, but there's no, there's nothing after that. Like yep. I'm looking for a staffer who identifies a problem, connects with her, his or her uh, cohort or or peers or coworkers, and figures out a solution. And then brings me the solution or a, or a variety of solutions or paths that I can yeah. potentially take. Right. So like I, that's my big thing, like b- being proactive and being solution oriented. Like I, I think that for me is how I've tried to be a leader, um, but also how I try to develop uh, my, my team and staff. Yeah. Such a good point. And, and even half a solution yeah. is that, you know, like if you can't get all the way there, at least engaging somebody with like, a, well, here's where I am so far in my thinking. Yeah. Right. Yep, and then exactly. someone with more experience can say, aha, okay. Yep. I see where right. you're going there. Like, I, all right, that's a great starting point. Like, you know, just exactly. that's super helpful. And that's super intuitive yep. uh, to that person's like future development. Like if I can tell really quickly, like where people, um, you know, not where they're going, you know, like, and whether or not how successful they're going to be in this game, because like, it's all about solutions, man. Like problems are easy. <laughs> the solutions yeah. are hard. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a good question, man. I think the worst piece of advice I've gotten has probably been on advance about advance and about like, oh, once you're an advanced person, like you're always an advanced person. So you should just like stay in advance. Like it's, it's, which is like not true. Like, um, I've seen people who have done it and that's great. Like they stay in advance. They love it. Um, but that was like very short-sighted, you know, like, like, oh, once you become an advanced person, like this is like who you're going to be. 
Um, so you should probably do, you know, get on another campaign and, or do advance just in perpetuity, <laughs> you know, like, um, so I think that was right. definitely like the worst, that was very short-sighted, you know, um, and just terrible advice. You know, I actually like, yes. it's like, it's the, actually the opposite. My view is if I see advance on your resume, like, great. Like, I know you've been in stressful situations. I know you know how to handle a principal. I know you've got great time management skills. I know you pay attention to detail. So I know all this just based on the word that you've <laughs> advanced, you know? So, so like- A thousand percent. Yeah. So, I mean, that I'm, and I'm so glad you said that because I've heard that trope too yeah. about advance specifically. And there's some other, you know, job roles in politics where people will say, sure. oh, if you do that, that's a lane and it's hard to get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's actually the opposite. I mean, advance is one of the few operations that has that touches every single department. You know, you get to know the fundraising folks, you get to know the policy folks, you get to know the press team, you get to know the political team. So like you have a whole menu of options of a career paths that you may potentially want to take purely based on having access to every single function within a campaign. So like that trope of like, oh, you're an advanced guy, like it's just not real. It's just, it's actually like the opposite in my view. Totally, totally agree with you. Um, okay. I have a couple of recurring segments that I like to yeah, ask yeah. people. One, I think I've already asked you, which is, um, biggest mistake, unless you've got another one you want to share. No, that's definitely, uh, that's definitely the one. Yeah. <laughs> understood. Um, uh, okay. Uh, Stafford hall of fame. If I, if I had, uh, you know, uh, my vision come true, I would be able to raise the money and get the permits to build a hall of fame to staffers on the national mall. Yeah. Um, uh, if you were to nominate someone for that hall of fame, who would you nominate? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, but I'm going to go with one of your former guests, uh, Ruchi Bomek. Um, yes. I had the opportunity to work for Ruchi at PepsiCo, but also um, when she worked in the White House. I mean, she's like just a brilliant human being. And I think she's, again, someone who I talk to on a regular basis about any major decision I'm going to make in my life. Um, she just is so smart and can see around corners that I don't even know exist yet. And uh, so she's definitely um, my uh, Hall of Famer for sure. Oh, that's great. What a great nominee. Um, Kenny, when I first met you, you were doing advance uh, for the president. Uh, I was in, uh, we were both uh, at Texas A&M for an event. Oh man, that was Um, awesome. That yeah, was yeah, yeah. a really cool event. I got to meet your family. Oh, that's great. And um, I'm just, uh, it's been really cool uh, to watch your career, uh, you know, just be as a from afar. And I'm really glad I had the opportunity to catch up with you today. Um, good luck um, with the new role and congratulations on it. And thank you for sharing, you know, this time with us. Hey, man, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Always good to catch up, man. And uh, I think this is great. So uh, best of luck to you as you continue to do these. I want to thank you all for listening to the only show created for and about the people who work in government and politics at any level. I do have a quick favor to ask. Please follow, subscribe, and like the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Positive reviews are everything in this business, I'm told. And make sure to sign up for episode alerts at staffershow.com and check out Staffer Show on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thanks all. Thanks all.